You're listening to the School of Reinvention podcast. I'm your host, Roger Osorio. I'm the author of The Journey to Reinvention, How to Build a Life Aligned with Your Values, Passion, and Purpose. I'm also the founder of The School of Reinvention, a community-based coaching platform where we help people define success on their terms and reinvent themselves to make it happen. I believe that as the years pass, our values, passions, and purpose evolve, and we must reinvent ourselves in order to stay aligned with who we really are and what matters to us. This podcast is all about exploring different journeys to reinvention so that you can learn the strategies for how to successfully launch your next reinvention. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the School of Reinvention podcast. I am your host, Roger Osorio. I'm a reinvention expert, coach, and author of the book, The Journey to Reinvention, How to Build a Life Aligned with Your Values, Passions, and Purpose. I'm incredibly excited to be joined by Subina Sulat, who is an employment expert, author, and podcast host. She's worked in human resources and organizational development for over 15 years. And in 2018, Sabina found herself unemployed for the first time in her career and used that experience to write the book, Agile Unemployment, Your Guide to Thriving While Outside of Work. She also hosts the Agile Unemployment Podcast, which is the top unemployment podcast in the U.S. Her business, Reworking, focuses on helping others build confidence and resilience as they navigate through all aspects of being out of work in order to find careers and jobs that align with their values and skills. Sabina regularly speaks to groups and organizations to help people learn how to take control of their careers and help corporations take a human-first approach with their employees. In the fall of 2023, Sabina will be taking part in the Beyond Lean In book tour, joining fellow female workplace authors for a series of events around the country as they share their knowledge and insights. Sabina's second and yet untitled book will be released in late 2023, tackling the topic of explaining how work works to those who are just starting their careers. Sabina, I am so excited that we get to be talking because you and I are working in very similar spaces. So this conversation is going to be a little bit different because we're going to have a chance towards the end to even just kind of riff on a topic, which for me is always like the really fun part of this kind of podcast interview. So I'm really excited to have you on. Thank you so much for your time. Let's kick off with your journey to reinvention. Why don't you start us there? Give us the high level overview. I want to hear like where you've been, what you've done so that the audience can say, whoa, you can really pivot from that to that. First of all, thank you, Roger. I'm super excited to be here too. And yeah, I love the concept you have of reinvention. And I might even say, I don't even know if it's reinvention as much as evolution, because when I look at my background and I remember once in a job interview, a recruiter said, you've done a lot of things and I really don't understand how you've gone from one thing to the other. So I've been on my own since I was very, very young, and I've always had to work since, you know, hitting that tender age of 18 and getting on the job track. But even before then, I'd worked, and it was everything from, used to be a shampoo girl at a hair salon, I've been a DJ, I've been a chef, I worked in a hotel. And when this recruiter said that question to me, I was really shocked because it made perfect sense to me, this entire trajectory. And it made me think. And that's when I realized it's not what I did or where I did it. It were those skills that I had and that I brought along the way. So it was always, I've always loved working with people. I've Mm -hmm. always liked trying to problem solve. I've tremendously enjoyed helping 
make life easier for people, somehow solving a problem for them, making their life better. So while in retrospect, my career might look like this poo-poo platter of all of these different things that I've done, there's common threads. And I think that's what I want people to know about their careers, because that's how I look at mine. It's the skills that I've learned along the way. I've gotten better at them. I've honed them. And so it was natural that eventually, I, when I was working my professional life, I ended up in human resources, because that's mm-hmm. part of your whole goal there is you want to make work easier for the people who were there. And it was a natural fit. I liked to problem solve. That's how I got into OD. But then I really liked making people happy and helping life be better at work because you spend more time at work than anywhere else, which is sad. Oh my gosh, that's so sad. And it should be a place where you're more than reasonably happy. You're fulfilled. You and I get to combine our passion and our purpose. And I feel like other people should do that. And that led me to the world of corporate learning and helping people learn how to make their lives easier and better at work. That for a long time was my mission. So that's kind of like my career trajectory. I think I hit most of your points there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I love what you said about evolution. I, I, I actually say that quite a bit as well, because I see reinvention as the solution. Yeah. It's like, it's how we evolve. It's through constant and ever reinvention that we move along our evolutionary path as we, you know, grow and develop into who we really are over time. And so I see all of these steps that like when I hear your steps and the different places that you've been, I'm hearing that, you know, each of these brought you a little bit closer to where you are today. Mm-hmm. And you always pick something up along the way. There's always a skill, a strategy, an idea, an insight, a conversation, something comes out of all of those things. And I've had a, you know, a, a pretty wild journey myself with a lot of twists and turns. And I feel the same way. I feel like there are plenty of things that I've extracted random moments where I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I had that in my knowledge bank over here because that's actually going to come in handy in a completely different context. And I feel like a lot of what you're saying is that, yeah, it always comes back. I'm sure there's even shampoo girl experience in there (laughs) that has served you later in life. I mean, talk about getting up close and personal with people. Well, I think it's the evolution is the stuff that just kind of happens willy nilly, very randomly. Like you said, the reinvention comes from making the concerted effort to apply it. And I think that's where that thing of, yeah, you do have to be a little mindful and strategic about this. You're not going to magically become, you know, CEO of Google or an Academy Award winner. But all of these things you pick up consciously and unconsciously. And I think it's those skills you pick up very unconsciously. I didn't set out to say, oh, I want to be really good with people. I think that happened from, you know, I've had jobs where I've had to deal with people who were not the happiest sometimes, you know, complaint departments, uh, customer service, that stint I did at fast food. And you just out of your own self-preservation get really good at addressing the problem, making it better really quickly. I didn't set out to get that skill, but it's served me quite well throughout my life. And that to me is the evolution part. And then the strategy is, and the reinvention is, how am I going to leverage this in the next phase of my career? 
Absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, you said something really important there that you went into some of the experiences, not necessarily thinking I want to work with people or that's like why I'm doing this. You went into it, but you came out with that. You went into it with another intention, perhaps even just to make a few extra bucks. I know in my case, like some of the things I did, I was like, I just wanted to make some extra money so I can pay off my student loans faster. But then once you get into something, a project, a side hustle, whatever it might be, you just you learn new things about yourself. You mm -hmm. discover a little bit more of who you are. You're like, whoa, I really like this. I didn't expect to like it so much. I thought it was just going to make me a few extra dollars. But this is fun. Like I'm having a blast here. And for me, that's, you know, where I think we if we're moving along that journey and doing those different things, you know, we're getting to know ourselves better. And as we get to know ourselves better, we can evolve more quickly or to use your word more intentionally, more strategically, because we're embracing all these experiences such as you have along the journey, even if, you know, again, you didn't know what you were going to get out of it, but you definitely got something out of it once you were out. Sometimes you don't know until way later. You're, you know, you're suddenly doing something like, Where did I, when did I pick this up? And then you kind of go back through your memory banks. You're like, ah, that summer I was a lifeguard. And this is how I got this respect for safety or something like that. You, there's always something. And you know, being in that corporate professional learning role, one of the things I always found out is that there's this thing called unintentional learning where, you know, it's even you're in a road trip and you start reading the billboards and, you know, your, your family's looking for a place to eat and suddenly from the back seat you pipe up like, oh, there's this restaurant that serves, you know, the best dish in the state. And your parents like, how did you know that? And you're like, oh, I saw it on the billboard. And you pick up information and skill, whether you want to or not. And that mindfulness just really helps you maximize the abilities. You're absolutely right. There are things that we will not even know until later when we are called upon to use them. And, and it's like, whoa, this just came in handy. We're all hungry. And I did see that billboard about like, you know, 15 miles ago that said 20 miles to go. So we should still be good, everyone. <laughs> Five miles. Pay attention. We are so much smarter and more skilled than we give ourselves credit for. I really believe that. And sometimes adversity is the thing that really tests that and helps you prove yourself. Absolutely. So let's let's talk a little bit about adversity. Let's talk a little bit about the more recent part of your career. You know, obviously you had a, a difficult moment that I, you know, just alluded to lightly in the in your bio. Tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. I I really did fall into the career of human resources. I graduated from college. I, a friend helped me get a job working a political campaign. It was very grassroots. I don't know why, but for some reason, I always got stuck in my mind managing all the volunteers, which try getting people who you're not paying to do things. And I seem to have a knack for it. My secret was donuts. But anyway... <laughs> One of the campaign donors thought I did a really good job. He was starting up a company, asked if I wanted to join. I became like Girl Friday. It was literally in his garage. And I was always the person who would be things like, shouldn't we be paying taxes? You know, I would really like insurance. And he would be, yeah, look into that for us, would you? And this five people in his garage eventually grew to over 200 employees. It was in the tech sector. And my role just kept growing with the company. As the company's needs grew, I went into HR. I didn't really know it at the time. And I didn't know what I was doing. And I figured out 
I'd ask people, I'd look stuff up and it worked out really well. I loved it. And then through, that's a whole other podcast, but through this strange series of events, I left work for a while to care for a family member. And this will be important in a minute. Try and get back into HR. I couldn't. I interviewed at a job called Magellan, didn't get the job. The recruiter liked me, found a second job for me to interview for, didn't get that. A year and a half later, not kidding, she called me up and said, we have a job in learning, it's yours. And my response was, I know nothing about that. And she said, no, we can teach you, but there are certain things you have that we can't teach that we like. We want you to come work for us. Within two weeks, I was working there. And it was a game changer in my life. It was a great career. I loved working in corporate learning. I worked my way up through various organizations. And I had what I thought was my dream job. I was head of learning for a very prestigious organization. I had this map of what I thought my life was going to be. I was going to get my doctorate in OD or human psychology learning, something along those lines. I'd work maybe five to seven more years in the company, and then I would kind of semi-retire, and I would write about the workplace. I would lecture about it, and that would be my final you know, gig before retiring, and life had other plans. Within six months, I was out of a job for the first time in my life, and nothing prepared me for it. It was horrible. We do not teach people how to be unemployed. It's the administrative things you have to do, like your insurance and your, you know, your unemployment pay and even sometimes food assistance, re-education, but also that whole thing of, I didn't know who I was anymore. I doubted my abilities and I was really good at my job. And then telling other people, Oh, that was humiliating. Uh, I didn't share this with you earlier, but I lost my job the week before my college reunion. So few things say success, like going back to all of your classmates, like, hey, I don't have a job. Not only that, how we apply for work changed dramatically in that six months that I was employed in that gig. So I couldn't understand why the resume that got me multiple offers suddenly was getting me crickets. And I floundered for like a year. It was horrible. And I had tremendous people supporting me. And yet I felt so isolated and alone. And I lucked out. A year later, I got an even better job. And it was very nice. I got to travel to Europe. I flew business class. It was great. I love the people I worked with. It was a great organization, and I didn't enjoy it. I liked the people, I liked the work, but there was something missing. And then the pandemic hit. And all while I was out of work, I would think, why doesn't someone write a book about how to be unemployed and put all your resources together for you? And I would look and there was no resource, there was no website, there was no book. And this strange series of events, I heard a podcast where a friend of mine was talking about a book he had written with his book coach. And they were both saying, everybody has a book in them. And there are all these reasons why people write. And at the time, I was also texting a friend. I obviously have an ADHD problem and doing lots of multitasking. And I texted to my friend, like, I should have written that book. 
And my friend was like, you can still do that. And I started writing that night. And that's how my book was written. It was not the book. I'd always wanted to write a book. This wasn't the book I thought I'd write. I know I have those other books in me. And this is just the first one, obviously. So, Yeah, I love what you just said there. Because going through my own author journey, I thought there's one book in me only to discover, oh my gosh, I've only just gotten started. There's at least a dozen. And and I would say like, they're not all even in me yet. Oh gosh, no. That's what we learn, I think, in this journey is that, no, I can, I can simply bring books to life. There might be one in me, but the rest I will bring to life separately, you know, mm-hmm. as I learn, just like you, you know, you have, it sounds like you didn't write the one that's in you yet. But you wrote one that was probably necessary based on the work that you were doing and all that. But before we go too far Mm -hmm. into the, because we're going to talk a little bit later about your author journey, I want to go back to that moment where, you know, up until a certain point, you know, you, uh, 2018, you had not encountered anything like this. Mm -hmm. And right now, you know, we're seeing record number of people being laid off. And so it's something that a lot of people are right now learning how to navigate. And to your point, not a lot of guidance out there, not a lot of great support, so many administrative things to get tangled up in, uh, you know, and and I went through that as well. So I definitely know what you're talking about there. Can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, you get the news and then make like the days, maybe a few weeks, maybe a month, you know, that, that moment, because I feel like for anybody listening who is going through that moment right now, it's important to know that, hey, this is this happens. And also here's what you might feel, or maybe you are feeling this and they might validate, you know, how they're feeling. Sure. And thank you for asking that. I think this is something we have to do better as a country, organizations, companies. I go back to spoiler alert, the job I got after I lost my job, the dream job. That one I got laid off from as well. Uh, they were in it was in pharma. Their vaccine did not go as planned. And so there were a lot of us that also lost our jobs. And I remember HR and my boss looking at me through a Zoom call saying, this is really hard for us. And I don't doubt that it's hard for them. I, as a manager, have told people, you know, I have to let, we have to let you go for whatever reason. It shouldn't be easy. But we seldom let the employee have that moment of gathering themselves, of it being about them, because they don't care what you're thinking. They care about themselves. Even if it's an hour later, a week later, they're the ones who've lost their job. And for me, the first time I felt a numbness and I will also say this, if you're in a position where your job is on the line, you kind of know. There are all these signs you know, and just because you're, you know, feeling paranoid doesn't mean it's not with good reason. If you see closed door meetings or you're no longer invited to Zoom calls, things like that, there's no preparation for it mentally. It happens, and as an individual... For me, it was doubting myself and what did I do wrong? I didn't do anything wrong either time. I could not influence the pandemic. I couldn't change a reorg, but we still feel like it's our fault. And I think we have to stop doing that. Shame is feeling bad about something inappropriate that you've done. 
if you've been laid off from a job, you haven't done anything inappropriate or wrong. There's something called being fired for cause. That's when you've done something wrong. And even then, trust me, I've been in HR, that, that's also iffy. So we have to stop taking the blame for being out of work. And I think once we do that, we can start to look at being out of work as normal. And it is. 40% of all Americans will lose their job at some point or another, at least once. I love the younger generations we have, millennials and Gen Zers, because they call it job hopping is like their calling card. A friend of mine who's a recruiter mentioned she needed to see people with a long tenure apply for jobs. And I asked, well, what's a long tenure? And she said, these days, 18 months. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. (laughs) So it is becoming more and more normal in our society to be out of work for a period of time. Being out of work also requires certain behaviors, certain things that you need to do. What I've tried to do with the book and the podcast is have people give themselves a break. Uh, Like you said earlier, have them build confidence and resilience while they're out of work. But also, to be honest, you are never going to have this kind of time again. And I think you should leverage it to develop, figure out what you want to do, reinvent yourself. What's your next evolution? The first time I was out of work, I did not do that. I was so focused on getting a job, which I think is a mistake that we make. And I didn't get a chance to grieve that life that I thought I was going to have. I think that's why the second job did not make me happy. I was still, I wasn't ready for it emotionally. This this, this is a powerful idea. We talked about this in our prep call. I'd love for you to double click on this one. You know, this one, the knee-jerk reaction to to start applying right away. Because, you know, I've also heard this knee-jerk reaction and I've experienced it myself. Even after I've decided that I wanted to leave something, and I was okay with that on some level because I pulled the trigger and I quit. And then knee-jerk reaction, I'm applying to jobs again. I'm like, wait, what did I just yeah. do? I quit to go do something else. And here I am feeling like this need to do that. But when we get laid off, same thing. You know, we go through that. And, and, and you shared something really powerful that, you know, being laid off is a traumatic experience in our lives. Go ahead and, and tell us a little bit more about this because this is super important. Thank you for that. It's something... I will say this, people resist me on, and then they always come back and they're like, yeah, that happened to me. And we don't realize that we don't, we think of trauma as something like, you know, an illness of a family member, losing somebody, maybe even losing a relationship or even, you know, going through some kind of a catastrophe or something like that. We don't think of losing a job as a trauma. And it is because we lose sight of ourselves, Everything in our lives suddenly becomes very fragile. Our money, our relationships, how we view ourselves professionally, and all of that comes up to trauma. I understand the necessity of, I have bills. You know, that's the first thing we think about is I've got to get another job so I'm insured and I have bill, you know, money for bills, money for fun. I don't lose my professional reputation. A lot of people go from the pan to the fire because of that. And people who are more successful, if they take time out to, first of all, grieve and say goodbye to the life that they had, but use this opportunity as 
either I've had people I've coached who have said, I've lost this job, but you know what? It's exactly what I wanted. And then we work to finding another job as similar for them, but they've done that mindful searching. I do much prefer the people who are like, okay, now what am I going to do? And they really want to go back to that poo poo platter of their career and call out like, okay, what are the skills? What, what do I really want to do? One of my favorite stories, I worked with someone who was a CPA. Um, actually, he worked for the IRS and he lost his job and he was convinced he wanted to work in the nonprofit sector. And he took almost an entry level job for a nonprofit and was miserable. And we kept working together. It came out that he just felt he wasn't utilizing all of his skills. Well, now he's a CFO for a nonprofit. And he is super happy because it's this combination of the things he, he loves to do. He feels he's helping others, but he's using some really great financial skills. And it never dawned on him to combine the two. And if you immediately jump into like a redo, not a 2.0, but kind of this really bad Xerox copy of your prior job or organization, not only is all of that trauma coming to light even faster because you're, you know, you're back in the, in the, in the war zone, but you haven't learned anything. And we're supposed to learn from trauma. We're supposed to learn what serves us, what doesn't. And taking that time to be strategic, to figure out what you love and what you want to do is necessary so that you don't constantly relive it. If you put yourself in the same environment, all of those things are going to come back up to haunt you. Right now I'm working with people who are recovering from addiction. And there's one person in particular who doesn't want to go back to a similar setting they were in because they recognize this is going to trigger what started my problem in the first place. I need a completely different environment. I think their chances for success multiplied by them recognizing that they need to have change. No, I, I, I mean, I, I agree with you. I've gone through it. So I, yeah. I know, I know what that is personally, but we look at it objectively, a job in some cases might be a relationship that you held longer than, you know, oh. that with your partner or your spouse. You yes. know, when, when I got laid off by IBM, a lot of the people who'd been laid off with me had been at the company 20, 30. I mm -hmm. even met one person 42 years at the company. Mm. And for all I know, he's been at the company longer than he's been married, you know, and it's, it, it's possible. <laughs> and yeah. so, you know, when we think about it, it's, it's, it could be our longest relationship. It's to your point earlier in the, uh, in the podcast episode, we talked about how we spend most of our time in our jobs. Like most of our waking life is in our jobs. So, so it's where we commit the most time, effort, just our being to this to this thing and and it's a big part of our lives so yeah ha losing it suddenly like without any warning just getting that call because that's the nature of a layoff there's no like hey let me warn you that it's coming no it's it just comes it's it i think it completely fits you know any traumatic loss it, it equal to that in many ways and so you know i think what you say about this taking this time to grieve and i think this that's for me the takeaway from your story here because it's really important that we, we understand that this is just going to be tough and that some of this tough part of it 
it's not something that we can fix with another job by getting one quickly, right. or we can fix with more money or a nice sign on bonus or whatever. It's not fixable by those things. It's fixable with time. It's fixable with just allowing yourself the grieving process to go through that and that it's okay. And I, and I think what you mentioned is a powerful insight where if you do get that job very quickly, let's say you're fortunate enough to go right into an interview and, and mm -hmm. you know get a few offers and boom, you're back in it. Be mindful. Like you said, even you felt this where you weren't really quite done yet saying goodbye to the other thing. And here you are jumping into another relationship and you're not really in it all the way. And it's hard to really connect perhaps with that and make it an, a good chapter. My friends always referred, now they refer to that second job. They call that like my rebound job. You know, the rebound relationship where yep. it seems okay. Yeah. And then oddly, it's eerily similar to the prior relationship you 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 left. And it probably would be okay, but there's something missing. And it was my rebound job. <laughs> so be careful with rebound jobs yes. is the key insight here is be careful with rebound jobs. Just make sure it's the right thing. And I think the other thing is to your point, I think you were suggesting earlier, if we take some time, we could also take stock of what we do have, right? Yeah. You know, what, what do we have? What are the terms of this moment? It's like you said, it's hard though, because there's so many administrative details, but when you do get into them, sometimes they are favorable administrative details, some of them, not all, and it won't always be the same for everyone. But I know in my case, for instance, I got a $2,500 stipend for professional development. Mm -hmm. How many people probably just never touched that money? I'm like, I used every dollar out of that $2,500 to take, to take classes that I wanted to take. I figured out how to properly document everything so that I could get, you know, my reimbursements. There were so many little things in there that were available to me. And if I had, you know, not gone through that, you know, and taken that time, I may have done the knee jerk reaction thing, gone right back when in reality, between severance, vacations, a little bit of professional development funding, blah, 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 you know, the list goes on, you know, it's like, Hey, I'm not like in trouble tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so like, I, I don't have to knee jerk it right now. Like I don't have to go back and like apply for jobs starting tomorrow or even next month. I may actually be able to take a month to just be and process yeah. like to your point, grieve a little bit and maybe spend some time on me and, and taking a step back and then maybe even going to my class reunion as you had to, <laughs> you mentioned, you know, and, and, and let everybody know, well, I'm free at the moment. So <laughs> I, I'm single. You know, if we use the, the relationship <laughs> metaphor, uh, hi, tell me about you. I'm single. Exactly. <laughs> so, and I am loving it right now. <laughs> I think we do have to learn to love our unemployment periods. Absolutely. Yeah. And we're going to talk, we're going to riff a little bit more on the, the opportunity that is unemployment before we wrap up the conversation. But before we get there, let's talk a little bit about your journey to becoming an author. Because now you're working on your second book and a lot of listeners are interested in becoming authors or at mm -hmm. least exploring that idea and that possibility. And so I've been really fortunate to have a lot of author, published authors on the show so far, and they've all shared very different journeys to how they got to becoming an author. And I love it because it just shows us that there are so many ways to get to that point. Tell us a little bit about your journey. You started alluding to it a little bit earlier, but yeah. go a little bit more in depth on how it came to be. I think... So many of us have always had the, the bucket list item of, I'm going to write a book. 97% of people who want to write a book don't. So already we're in the top 3% of that group. It's overwhelming and we are such perfectionists. And 
most of the time we want to write a book because there's something that we feel passionately about. For me, I thought the book that I would write would be about, I took care of my mother in her final illness, and it was probably the best experience I ever had on so many levels. And I thought I would write about that for a host of reasons, that it would bring closure. It would be something I could share with other people who might be in a similar situation. But of course, it's very emotional. And it's one of those things like, yeah, I can do half a chapter this year. It, it just took a lot out of me. I have a friend where we have always participated in something called NaNoWriMo, which is a global event called National Novel Writing Month. It happens in November's. And you spend a month writing a book along with tens of thousands of other people. And the books are just that good, at least mine were, as you would spend a month writing a book. So when this podcast came on, my friend's podcast about writing a book, the idea of writing a book for unemployment had started to be in the back of my mind. The pandemic was beginning. I no longer had a three-hour commute. I used that time to write every day. The idea that really pushed me was I could help people. Again, going back to you know something that's throughout my entire career, the book was also this convergence of almost everything I've done for a living. HR, learning and development, not only that, I worked for the federal government when the Affordable Health Care Act was being written, and I got to sit in on sessions, kind of my geek fest. But then I ended up working for an insurance company as the Affordable Health Care Act was implemented and working with exchanges. So all of these little bits of pieces of knowledge that I had converge in this book. But once you write a book, <laughs> there's this overwhelming feeling of accomplishment, and you want to share that with everyone you know. Not even your book itself, but you want others to experience that joy and that accomplishment. It's almost like you become this, dealer might be a heavy word, but it's the thing of like, come on, you really got to try. You really need to do this. Yeah. And people do come to me. Friends now come to me and they're like, okay, I think I want to do this. And I'm like, oh my God. I'm, and I get so excited. I Someone invited me out to brunch yesterday to talk about the fact that they want to write a book. And mm -hmm. she even said, she said, I just know you're going to be so happy over this. I'm like, oh yeah. And I've already sent like 30 emails to her and I'm like, just tell me to stop and I will. But then it also, your first book is a gateway book and you want to write more and more and more. And you have lists of what you can write a book about and what you want to. And I would say the number one thing I tell people is do this for you. It, it's great if other people can benefit from it. That's nice, you know, icing on the cake, but I'm really happy with my book and I've had a love-hate relationship with it. Some days I've hated it. Some days I've loved it. I like hearing that people liked it. I feel very accomplished. I feel like I've done something. And, you know, it's all of those things. And we write for very different reasons. I'm never going to write the next great American novel. I know that. I never thought I'd be writing nonfiction. But I love the workplace. That's why I spent so many years working for work. Seems to be my genre. I'm fine with that. I like sharing what I've learned and what I know with other people. For anybody who's interested, let's put it that way. And I think that's the best way to look at it is 
you have to genuinely love your book more than anybody else does because it's not easy to do. And I will tell everyone a deep, dark secret about writing a book. And, and Roger, you can back me up on this or not. Writing the book is the easiest part of this process. If you self-publish, oh my gosh, I did. Bless your heart. Just getting it all together to do that is difficult, but promoting your book, all of that is even harder than writing it. Uh, so just do the first step. Don't I'm with you there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am so with you there. It's it's a completely different challenge. There are it's like two separate activities yes. and they have nothing to do with each other. Nothing to do with each other. Uh, you think that one has everything to do with the other when you go into it. Like, if I do this, then that happens magically. Um, it does not It's happen. like this cosmic joke because you it, it is a lot to write a book, everybody. And then you're finished and you're like, wait a minute, that's not even all there is to it. There's this whole other thing I have to do that requires none of the skills that I have in life. And yep. and, and it's like, <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I totally hear you. So I, I definitely concur. I'm all I'm with you on that one. I'm still on the learning journey for that, yes. you know, for, for my first book on learning how to sell that, learning how to promote it, learning how to get it into people's hands. It's mm -hmm. obviously, uh, as we have learned, for, it's obvious to us that it's easier said than done, for sure. Uh, there's so much that goes into that. And it is a very different challenge that does not require any of the skills we learned in order to pull it together. But I like what you said about the purpose part of it, you know, right, you know, the first book, especially, I love how you distinguish between the first book and maybe future books, mm -hmm. that this first book, make it for you, make it like, you know, it, it's, this is your book, it just has to be written for you, like it doesn't have to, you know, you don't have to write it for others. And for me, this was important, because for a long time, for a decade, I wanted to write a book. So it was a goal. On mm -hmm. some level, it was a goal. And it usually made it to the list of every year's set of goals. Maybe a few years it wasn't in there. And there were many false starts that never went Absolutely. farther than maybe a couple of weeks of effort. And then it would die down. And there it goes that it was a failed attempt for the year. However, when I started writing this other, the, the, my first book, the one that actually got published, I learned that you know, the purpose mattered probably more than anything. Mm -hmm. And for me, the purpose was no longer because here's what it used to be. And, and no doubt you've heard this as well. And listeners, you've probably heard this as well. You know, oh, it's it's a great calling card. It's a great credibility yes. builder. And there's this long checklist of that kind of, you know, those kinds of reasons why you should write a book. It's a great way to sell yourself as a consultant. And the list goes on and on and on and on for why these types of business related reasons or professional career related reasons why we should write a book. The thing is, to your point, it is so hard to write the book in like going through that experience. Yet relatively, it will be easier. Once you start to sell it, then you'll be like, Oh, that was actually easy. <laughs> but going through it when you're going through mm -hmm. it for the first time, it is hard and you really need that purpose behind it. And it wasn't until I shifted my purpose to something else to my own like to what I wanted and what I really wanted for me. And, and I, I, I'm wondering if, you know, please share if this was the same for you. I wanted clarity about my ideas. I was just, you know, I was in the process of pivoting from that layoff into the world of reinvention, of teaching reinvention, becoming someone who could become, a, uh, you know, becoming an authority in this. And I didn't really, even though I had already done it so many times, it's one thing to do it a bunch of times. It's another thing to teach it, to be able to like look at it objectively and say, what did I do? Like deconstructing what you did. And so 
writing the book for me was just a way like to get clarity on what the heck have I been doing for, you know, the better part of like maybe a decade at that point or a little more than a decade that helped me get to this point where I'm able to help people. Because if I can't figure this out, then I'll never figure out the next step. Like, how, how would I actually help somebody else? I can share my stories from time to time, but I want to do this at scale. And for me, the book was like, I just want to get what's in my head out and clear and organized so that I can move forward with this in whatever way I must. That was the purpose that got me to actually go through writing this book. Before that, all those other things I mentioned, they just didn't move me. Some of that was for me. I, I knew that I wanted to have this resource for people, but I had this post-it note on my refrigerator the entire time I was writing. And it said, don't let someone else write your book. And I would look at that every day, every time I would get exasperated. And I was afraid that someone else would do it not better than me. But this book came from my own experience of being out of work. And there are a couple of books out there that will talk about the job search and how to be a good candidate, but none of them covered the emotional part of things, the recovering from trauma. That's what I felt missing from resources. I haven't seen another book do this. I was afraid because of the pandemic, there'd be more of the, you know, what colors your parachute kind of books. And they would eclipse the fact that we need to deal with this emotional part. So to me, that was like my why. And yeah. I think I did that successfully. So Awesome. So let's use these last couple of minutes here to quickly <laughs> riff quick. on. Uh, yeah, very quick. I, right? It, time for those fly in this. You said something on our prep call. Unemployment is your opportunity. Riff on that for like a minute. Share a cool story. Something oh that would gosh. make someone believe that, wow, it can be your opportunity. So many. I mean, I told you about the former IRS accountant. You know, I think I'm one of the biggest examples of that. I wrote the book and I shared it with some of my coworkers at the post, you know, layoff job. And then a bunch of us were put on the chopping block because of the pandemic. And we had these secret Zoom calls. We were a little secret society in the company where we'd support each other because we were given two months notice, which was nice, but then oh, so awkward because everyone knows you're leaving and we would try to support each other. And a really good friend of mine in a call said, well, of all of us who are going to lose our jobs, you're the only one who's really prepared for it. And he meant because I'd written the book, because I knew of everything. And I kind of laughed and said yes. But in a way, that was my signal that, no, I wasn't going to try to get another corporate job. I already had people coming to me about how could they go through unemployment and the book was almost going to be my exit strategy of corporate life anyway. Just the decision was made for me. Go back to that first job where I said, you know, I was going to write books and speak about employment and be this thought leader. But that was going to be five or seven years down the road after I got a doctorate. And now today I talk to organizations about unemployment and employment and I write books about it. And I am, I do consider myself a thought leader and I shaved five or six years off of that goal. So yay me. It had to be mindful. And I think that's why I didn't like that second job I got was because it really wasn't where my heart was. Had I yeah. sat down and really thought about what do I want, 
I might not have ever had that job. I might have gone right to this. Instead, I was just so worried about doing what I tell people not to do of, oh, you've instantly got to get another job. I had to learn that myself. I try to teach that to others. Some people follow it. Some people don't. And we all have our own journey. But I think that's one of the big things is be open to what's happening. I have this thing that I say of, you know, make something that happens to you something that happens for you. That's a huge paradigm shift and to wrap your head around it is difficult. But once you do, things suddenly open up and become so much easier. And to me, that's like the crux of what you do, Roger. It's that reinvention. You have to be open-minded for it. And you have to, you can try on your own, but sometimes you have to look at the events around you and that guide you. I love that. That right there is a perfect story for unemployment is your opportunity, you know, on so many levels. But I love the level of, you know, you originally had an intention to write a book seven years after a certain point in time. And boom, layoff became the opportunity to start writing your book now. Why wait seven years? Let's just write it now. And here you are uh, now about to become a two time author. Uh, and and you didn't have to wait those seven yeah. years in order to get to this to get to the point of having the one book. And so I think that right there is a beautiful takeaway to, to wrap up this episode for anyone listening. The point here is, you know, really take that time to figure out how and it takes time to make mm-hmm. that shift from, you know, something happening to you versus something happening for you and making it for you. And if you step back for a moment and take some time, I love what you said, you had a little secret society going on, meaning essentially what I'm hearing there is you had a supporting cast, a a group of people who were all supporting each other. Find those people who you can lean on, whoever might be in your life, lean on them, you know, talk to people and take that opportunity to step back and find a way to turn this from a a destruction event, an event that was destructive in our lives Mm -hmm. to one that creates. And uh, that's what I hear in yours. You know, you took a, a, what could have been a destructive event and you said, you know what, I'm going to reframe this as a creation event and I'm going to create myself into an author. And well, here I am on the verge of writing, of finishing my second book. Sabina, thank you so much for your time. I have a feeling that you and I will be doing this again in the fall. (laughs) because we got more to talk about, way more ideas to extract. We'll talk more about your second book when it's closer to the finish line. And I just want to say thank you again for anyone who wants to keep up with Sabina's work, her existing book and all of that. All of her links will be in the show notes. uh, And I know you're working on your website, so we'll put the link there anyway because this episode will live for a long time. So you never know when someone might find this episode. I want to make sure that they can find you and connect with you, whatever is the best way. So thank you so much, Sabina, for your time, your insights, your stories. Thank you. I had a great time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the School of Reinvention podcast. Again, I'm your host, Roger Osorio. If you're ready to start your journey to reinvention and want to walk the path with others, visit www.rogerosorio.com and go to the School of Reinvention to check out for yourself how a community-based coaching platform can help you begin your next reinvention. You can also go to rogerosorio.com to purchase my new book, The Journey to Reinvention, and receive some exciting bonuses. Until next time, make your day great.